Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerning Hearts is honored to offer the following special presentation entitled The Eucharist and Hope for Conversion with Deacon James Keating. Deacon Keating serves as a professor of spiritual theology at Kenrick Lennon Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He's the author or editor of 28 books on spirituality, morality, and clerical formation, including Remain in Me, Holy Orders, Prayer, and Ministry. We now present The Eucharist and Hope for Conversion with Deacon James Keating. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord Jesus, thank you for our faith. Enliven this faith by keeping us close to your mysteries, your life, your death, your resurrection. We pray especially tonight for any family member who no longer attends the Eucharist, that through the power of this life, death, and resurrection, they will be drawn back to the worship of the one true God. Okay, just going to talk about two things tonight, the liturgy and... um, Sacrament of Reconciliation, and uh, these will be what I call jumping off points, so we'll just follow those along and then I'll just make some comments on them. The first thing about the, um, the liturgy is that it, it, the big important part about the liturgy is participation, and it's not just participation in the activities around the Mass, but it's, it's the participation of our lives in the life of Christ that's being offered at the Mass. So it's participation, of course, in the saying of the prayers, the kneeling, the standing, uh, the receiving Holy Communion, that's the high point. But we we should perhaps have this focus when we're worshiping that what we want to do is we want to open ourselves in such a way that we become vulnerable to participating in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, or as the notes say there, redemption. Now, of course, uh, many people in the United States today don't believe redemption is necessary. We believe as a culture now that we are all born, kind of ordered toward heaven. Because we have uh, projected our democratic values onto salvation, onto heaven. So it would be rude for us to think that people aren't destined for the best, destined for what is uh, good for them. And we shouldn't exclude anyone. But the teachings of the church are pretty clear on this, that we need to participate in Jesus's life in order to be with God. So just by virtue of birth, we are not destined for God because of all that we know and all that we believe about the fall. That there is something bent or broken in us. And if we don't believe that, all we have to do is just consider our own life and the last resolution we made to do something virtuous and how difficult that was. We are born oriented more easily towards self-involvement. We are not born oriented more easily toward transcendence, toward self-forgetfulness. 
fact, that's the great burden of our movement toward holiness, is to work and put ourselves in those positions that enable us to finally throw the self off. And as we begin or continue or deepen our spiritual life, we begin to see how burdensome the self is. St. Paul said this very clearly, why do I do the things I do not want to do? That's the condition of our birth. That's why we need a savior. We don't need a teacher. We don't need a therapist. We don't need some uh, guru or guide. We need a savior. We need divinity entering our bodies and reorienting our fascination. Because what is so clear to us is that we are deeply fascinated with the self. And that reorientation of becoming fascinated with God is what crucifies the ego. And, but that has to be the movement from self-fascination to fascination with God. And anyone in here who's married, you know how difficult it was to move from being a bachelor in a bachelor mindset to a spousal mindset. Hurt like hell. And the only reason we did it is because she was pretty. Because we would continue on that road of deep self-involvement if it wasn't for beauty. But beauty reached in and wrenched us free of the self, even for a short time, and that short time is called engagement. Then when we get married, somehow we forget, probably because beauty has said yes to us, and we begin to take beauty for granted. But during that time of engagement, when we're trying to impress her and keep her from going astray to another interest, perhaps, we finally begin to taste what it, what it feels like to forget the self. And what it feels like is ecstasy. Power, transcendence. That's why when little boys fall in love in fourth grade and fifth grade, we should never really denigrate that. Sometimes we're very quick to denigrate puppy love and just dismiss it. When your son comes home and he says, I have seen Helen Smith, you should sit him down and say, what did you say? Daddy, I saw Helen Smith by the water fountain. Sit down, son. Say that to me again. Daddy, I saw Helen Smith by the water fountain. And as a father, you say in your heart, damn, he finally saw someone else. That's something to treasure and affirm. Because that natural trajectory is to continue self-involvement. And the only thing that awakens us to get out of that would be some type of vulnerability and openness to beauty. It's usually in the form of a woman, but ultimately it must be the form of Christ on the cross. For there is nothing more beautiful than divinity loving us in that form. A complete self-surrender, a complete selflessness of God. 
That's what rivets us. Because when the marriage passes away, as Jesus says, in heaven there, are not, there is no marriage and you're not given in marriage in heaven. When marriage passes away, our desire for beauty will remain. And that beauty, though, will no longer be the mediated beauty of the woman. It will be the source of the woman's beauty. God himself. Which is why we have no marriage in heaven, because we, both genders, riveted upon God and God alone. This is why Christ is called the bridegroom, because ultimately we are destined all to be married to God, to be fascinated with the life of God. This begins in the sacramental life. We see it mediated in the wife, in our marriages, but ultimately we see it at the Mass, where we enter into this participation. The participation of God pouring himself out to us in love and ourselves responding with an equal self-gift and finally throwing off the burdensome boredom of self-involvement. And we know that self-involvement is boring because we know all the remedies that Americans try to unleash themselves from that boredom. Sex, drugs, and rock and roll. We all know that we are bored because we are constantly anesthetizing ourselves. We are constantly escaping. We are constantly distracted as a culture. Because the one thing that is weighing us down is what the commercial market, governments, popular culture, everyone tells us that we should be involved in, the self. And the only one who doesn't say we should be involved in the self is the one we crucified and killed. That's how powerful the movement to stay self-involved is, even under anesthesia the anesthesia of the current culture. Because God help anyone who tries to free us or release us from this powerful self-involvement. They will be killed. They will be ignored. They, they will be in some way tortured, relegated to the margins, attacked. That's how much we love the self. The remedy to that is Sunday Mass. And of course, the reason uh, Sunday Mass is dwindling in attention, in attention, and we are closing parish after parish across diocese after diocese, is because the Mass is the only hour not about the self. There is nothing to attract an American to the Mass because its objectivity does not pander to immediate gratification. And the whole culture panders to immediate gratification. And the one holy and sacred place that refuses to play into our wound is the Mass. The one place that refuses to profit off of our wound is the Mass. Can we jazz it up a bit? Can you make it more like entertainment? Can you please change the uh, prayers every Sunday so it's not all predictable? 
And the mass stands its ground of objective revelation of the one act of God, which is our only way into the freedom from the self. This is my body given for you. 2,000 years, we are not budging on that objective reality. If you want to be um, relieved of the burden of the self, you must suffer the mass. It is not entertainment. It is reconfiguration of your first interest. And that is a spiritual chiropractic that hurts like hell. It is a reorientation of your first interest. And to be with God, it cannot be you. It has to be the mystery of God's own self that fascinates us. So he gives us baptism and he gives us all the other sacraments to assist in this reorientation. And the drama of our lives is very clear. In the end, will he or will he not become sick of himself? Let's watch and see. And if he becomes sick of himself in the face of the revealing beauty of God, and he participates in what has been revealed, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we call that salvation. And we'll call that man saved, holy. But it is a wrenching drama. If you look at the, the next series of notes there, the Eucharist is the mutual indwelling of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, the Eucharist is God pouring out his love. That's the gift. The Eucharist is God, the Trinitarian God, pouring out the gift, which is his love, in order to invite us to receive it. See that passive language? In order to invite to receive. There is no coercion in love. We must trust, surrender, and respond to the grace. And of course, this is why falling in love with your wife is a, a, like a reflection of the ultimate falling in love with God. There was no coercion. It was an invitation. And it was about you being capable to receive her presence. In other words, to make room in your fat, relentless ego for somebody else. Make room for somebody else. And the reason we have marriage counselors is because even when people get into that situation, they go back to Egypt. They go back to slavery. Even though the promised land is close, the death of the ego is close. You just got married. But the pull back to immediate gratification, the pull back to the ego at the center, is an incredible undertow. And people get so far and they get afraid of making room for the other and giving that self over to the bride 
and they start taking back their bachelor life. And that's when all hell breaks loose and relationships break apart because one or the other refuses to trust that across the desert of denial of immediate gratification is the promised land. It's what you wanted when you saw her beauty in her face. You wanted the end of your own autocratic self. You wanted to be free. But then we get afraid. What happens if I surrender to her? Is she a taker? This, of course, is mirrored in our relationship with God. What happens if I give all to God? Is God a taker? And this is the great satanic lie that we, play, that we are played by Satan to believe. God is not good. Love is not beneficial to you. You are diminished whenever you stop thinking of you. That's the great satanic lie. Somehow he gets us to believe the opposite of salvation. That when we become fascinated with the beauty of God or the beauty of the woman, we are hardly diminished. As Jesus says, we are brought to life and life to the full. Life to the full. But Satan keeps saying, don't trust, be afraid, don't give all, hold some back for yourself. Who's going to remember you? Who's going to think of you? What will happen to your needs? And he captures us back to that deep wound itself that we began our life with. And this is why life is so darn interesting. Literally. Will this man make it? Or will he go back to slavery, back to Egypt? And the mass is there to keep us moving across the desert of self-denial and eating the manna, the very life of God himself, body of Christ, blood of Christ. Amen. Keep consuming it. Keep consuming the mystery. Keep being vulnerable and open to what he did for us on the cross. Yes, there is no immediate satisfaction. Yes, being American is not salvific. You must leave America and become men of the liturgy. Your new native land must be the liturgy. And that must begin to refashion your imagination, give you a new mind, the very way that your wife did when you first met her. And you did weird things, like stop thinking of yourself and remembering someone else's birthday. Just imagine the leap of imagination that that was to think of somebody else's birthday and not be so totally self-involved. Remember, this is a new mind that the woman was giving you. Her beauty was moving you out of your old bachelor mind and it was, she was giving birth 
through her beauty to a spousal mind, a mind you never thought you could possess. And of course, this is what God is doing at the Mass. He's moving you out of a time-saturated mind, an American in the 21st century, consumed by economics, politics, entertainment, sports, travel, all those things that consume the American mind. And his beauty, the crucified one who gave everything, while you, as St. Paul says over and over again, we're still in sin. The crucified one, the most beautiful image in all of human history, the selflessness of God, that beauty is now affecting your mind analogously to the woman. And you are moving, not from a bachelor mind to a spousal mind, but you are moving from your native land to a new location. You are leaving behind the temporal order of the accident of your birth. And you are beginning to be domiciled in the liturgy. And when your death comes, this is why you'll cry out for a priest on your deathbed. Because what you're crying out for is the continuation and the extension of your new native land. And you got there because Christ in the Eucharist carried you there. Where is this new native land? Heaven. Eternal life. And you'll miss none of this fabricated, superficial culture. You'll only cry out for what's coming. Eternal life with beauty itself. And that beauty is beginning to habituate you through Sunday Mass. That's why in a few years we'll call you a saint. Because you did make room for something other than yourself. And you did invite some other being to fascinate you. And you became what you loved. And this is the most interesting metaphysical, ontological, experience of being a human being. What you pay attention to, you become. And if you don't believe me, just watch what's happening to so many members of our culture as they become obsessed with the superficial and they eschew the substantive because it doesn't give them the quick hit they're addicted to. Which is why they are leaving the Mass in droves. They are actually becoming the superficial things that they pay attention to. And they are becoming incapable of suffering substantive interests. All of you then in this room have got to continue to give witness to the fact that there is more than what we are catered to by, as St. Paul calls it, this passing age. Where the real substance is, and this is the most amazing thing for our time regarding what God is doing, playing a big joke on us, 
as we are addicted to passing emotions, the real substance is in that Sunday Mass after you receive God and you feel nothing. The real substance, which he refuses to give in, is faith. You must take a leap and believe because God will not pander to our addictions. When you receive God, you have to believe it's God because he's not going to have appendage experiences where we will, instead of falling in love with beauty itself, we will then again start attending religious services for the hit it gives us. And of course, this is the same thing that we do with the woman. When the woman, woman no longer can please us, when she can no longer make us feel good with a, like a bauble on our arm, a trophy wife, when she no longer gives us a quick hit, we get a new one. Because I must always be entertained. So this movement of the death of the ego is actually the movement of the parish, which is why we all gather together in fellowship, so that we can support each other moving from America to the liturgy. Because this is not natural. If it was natural, there'd be 10,000 men here tonight. But it's supernatural. And so you need all the brotherhood you can get to keep supporting one another when somebody forgets that they're to move to the liturgy and they complain that God is taking them out of America. And you, as a brother, have to stand by his side and say, let's go together in faith through the desert where you feel nothing. And trust that on the other side is human fulfillment. And what is human fulfillment according to the Catholic Church? Holy communion. Not one experience after the other, not one hit after the other, not one high after the other, not one trip or travel excitement after the other, not one new gourmet food after the other. What is the highest point of human life? Peace. A sustained interior peace. Analogous to the beautiful married couple who can sit in silence together, basically doing nothing, because just being together is their fulfillment. And so it is with God. Ultimately, in the end, what is most substantive about life? Being with God. And we don't want to do anything to jeopardize that fulfillment which is coming. 
And that's why the last point is the sacrament of reconciliation. And you see there, the sacrament of reconciliation, it says, is Christ's work of subjecting disobedience to mercy. So we stand and name our disobedience, and then he subjects that to his mercy. And the end of that is a reconfiguration, if you will, of baptism. When you leave the confessional, you are born again. Because you, when you sin, we leave reality and we enter fantasy. God doesn't live in fantasy. When the priest says your sins are forgiven given, and I absolve you, because you brought truth to that encounter, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I don't excuse this. I'm going to tell you exactly what the sin is because I want to move from fantasy to reality. Why do I want to move from fantasy to reality? The whole culture says the opposite. Because God lives in reality. So the more we sin, the more isolated we become in our fantasies, whether it's greed, whether it's gluttony, whether it's sloth, whether it's lust, anger, it doesn't matter. When we move in that direction, we move into what the book of Acts defined Judas as. When they had to replace Judas after he killed himself, they said, we need to replace Judas. And after that, they said, who went to his own place. What a horrible but accurate description of all of us when we sin. We have to replace this man because he went to his own place. Isolation, loneliness, hell. And every time we choose sin, which is the immediate hit, which then opens into emptiness, we have just touched the depths of loneliness. There's always a lie with sin. Keep eating, keep eating, keep getting the pleasure of fat and sugar in your mouth, keep going, feel it, that's the facade. Then after, the depths of regret. Why? Because sin carries in it its own punishment. Isolation from the good, from virtue. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I'd like to come back to reality now because I want to live where God lives. And I no longer want to be alone. And here's where we have to encourage each other the most. When we see a brother drift into the temptation and deception of the first hit of sin, And to remind him of its inherent emptiness and loneliness. 
But look at the mercy of God, where he has given us these two simple realities. In both, we simply need a priest. In one, we need bread and wine. That's it. Experience the simplicity of salvation. Priest, bread, and wine. The priest can reconcile you, and the priest will be the medium for transubstantiation for that beautiful mystery of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus to come and invite us to participate in it. And that's all we need. Tell people of this simplicity. What's hard about salvation is us leaving the self behind. Everything else has been supplied by God in complete simplicity. If we're going to stay out of sin, the last uh, big paragraph there is we need the practice of asceticism. And of course, this is when everybody leaves the room because this is the crucifixion of the self. Asceticism, it says in that little definition there, is the struggle to desire and choose what we see in Christ. What do we see in Christ? The Son in communion with the Father. What is asceticism? To struggle, to desire, and choose to be in communion with God. And to desire, you've got to pray for that. And to choose, you need the brotherhood to help you choose that. It is not good for man to be alone. Genesis says, because to be alone is to leave yourself wide open to that horrible temptation to believe what Satan wants us to believe, that in God is a taker and not a giver. So we don't want to be alone. If you want less more immorality in the world, make this community in this room bigger. Lonely people are the next perpetrators of evil, and lonely people are the next victims of evil. You want less evil, deepen your community. And in this way, we will have the strength to choose and to desire to be like Christ, to be a son who lives in communion with God. We will stand in peace before our passions because God is refashioning us into men who love the life he wants us to participate in more than we love the life of immediate gratification. He's going to transfigure us from men who love immediate gratification into men who love the life of Christ. We have to pass through crucifixion first, but with the sacraments and with fellowship, nothing is impossible for God. So we'll just be with Jesus just for a few minutes in silence. And then if I said anything that's confusing or you have any comments or questions, we can talk about that. But let's just be with Jesus for a few minutes in silence. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, come and be with us.
You've been listening to The Eucharist and Hope for Conversion with Deacon James Keating. To hear and or to download this presentation by Deacon Keating, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. To view the video of this presentation, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it on the Discerning Hearts YouTube channel. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission, which is to offer authentic and rock-solid spiritual formation freely to souls around the world. And if you feel us worthy, please consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for more from Deacon James Keating.